Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is The Sustainability Journey. So welcome to another episode. And today we are going to see a very important area, management consulting's emerging markets. And we are doing it with an expat. And I'm very proud to welcome Emily Barron, who is the project leader of Open Capital Advisory. Thank you so much for being here, Emily. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to join you. Thank you for having me. Emily, it's very important the role of management consulting at financial advisory to foster growth and inclusivity, especially in the emerging market. But usually we ask our guests to tell a bit about your, themselves and their journey, how you have become a leader in this field. For me, that has looked like a few different things over the years. So currently, you know, working with Open Capital, that's really focused on the impact and, and kind of sustainability of um, SMEs um, and the job creation and growth uh, that we support through my work at Open Capital. Um, and I think before that, I was really lucky to spend a year at Saeed Business School. And Saeed has got a very deep sort of focus on sustainability, which looks you know, across environmental and social kind of concerns. And so it was a, an amazing kind of year meeting people with really interesting and different perspectives on what sustainability looks like and particularly kind of how to be a responsible business um, and, and sort of how to do well by doing good. And before that, I actually was in the, the NGO sector. So I was working, first of all, um, with an organization focused on criminal justice um, and working with people in the, in the criminal justice system. Then um, more particularly, spent about three and a half years focused on education. So thinking about the early intervention with children from disadvantaged backgrounds in the UK and how to support them to a sort of safe, happy, healthy life um, in adulthood. So really thinking about the journey of their lives and how to intervene early enough so that they could kind of be on the right track um, as they entered adulthood. So I think, you know, moved around a bit, both geographically and kind of thematically. And I think the broad themes, I guess, very personally, are, you know, I, I'm, I've been very fortunate. I've had a very, you know, good education. And I think I've been excited to find ways to kind of apply that in, in a way that kind of, you know, can be most useful uh, to others. So in this case, it's kind of now, you know, within Open Capital, we have a really fantastic kind of bank of experience, understanding of how to raise capital, how to grow a business um, in sub-Saharan Africa. And so, um, you know, I've worked with 30, 40 plus SMEs at this point. Um, and each time talking to a CEO about their growth strategy, you know, talking through how they're going to raise capital, you can really feel the shift that comes over the team where they kind of are able to lock into that plan and then and then think about how that's going to be executed within their business and and that for me is uh, really the best part of the job it's really interesting and i think now you have just launched us you know on, on, on the runway to see the problem and and the work that you are doing and the importance and the crucial part especially when you said you know the team and the exciting SMEs. and can you explain a bit what is open capital and maybe we can go also to 
and the history and the vision that, that the, you are trying to bring? Open Capital OCA, um, as we call it, is a management consulting and financial advisory firm. We're a team now of about 150 people. Our largest office is in Nairobi, but we have team across West Africa, office in um, uh, Lagos, uh, in Lusaka, Zambia, and also in Kampala, Uganda, but we also have team in other countries as well. And we were founded about 12 years ago by uh, two co-founders, and one of whom's background was from investment banking, the other was from um, kind of big consulting uh, company. And they started the firm with a kind of thesis that, you know, there was uh, capital in the market, but it was um, the way to kind of really accelerate growth in African economies was to help the SMEs kind of get ready to unlock that capital and to access that capital. And uh, we work with um, a big range of clients across quite a wide range of sectors. We're sector agnostic. Um, and those clients include um, the SMEs themselves working directly kind of in advisory or consulting capacity um, with investors to help them source deals um, to execute on those deals and with development partners who are interested in how the private sector can kind of accelerate um, particular development aims, particularly, of course, the sustainable development goals, the SDGs. And so we really have a, I think, a pretty useful perspective, both in terms of depth of experience and, and years of experience on the continent, um, a team which is the majority of whom are, uh, are African nationals, but also a kind of breadth across the different parts of the ecosystem, to use the jargon. And I think that brings a lot of value um, to our clients. There is capital in the market, but how we can accelerate? We read in the newspaper, you know, this is the, the 21st century, it will be the African one. Which are the, the, the barriers for SME for being protagonist to this development? And, and I think it's interesting, you know, as consultants, we always want to have a, a problem statement. And I think, you know, that was sort of part of your framing, which is, you know, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? And, and I think that we, to some extent would, would slightly kind of push back on the idea of a problem right um i think one of my one of my professors in business school used to quote uh, a, a a sort of a saying which which he absolutely loved and i think is really relevant here which is that the future is already here it's unevenly distributed and it's a sort of science fiction writer and i i feel that all the time traveling between africa and europe the us which you know I, I sort of sit at home in nairobi where i'm based and there are many things about life there, which is much easier, <laughs> already kind of much further ahead, um, you know, in terms of te technology process, in terms of kind of the, the ease of, of, of doing certain things. So, and then there are other things which obviously, you know, are much more advanced in, in the UK and the US. So I think the, the challenges are really interesting and they don't always show up as one, one sort of would expect. There are, of course, big developmental challenges um, and the SDG and the sort of those people who, who track the SDGs can kind of speak to specifically, you know, which areas we're, we're most lagging behind in. But at the same time, sometimes the scarcity uh, can in itself like create big opportunities. So, you know, I, to give an example, I did some work a few uh, years or so ago about private schools in Kenya. And these are very low cost private schools. So, so they might cost sort of less than $100 a term to attend. So it's a, it's a very accessible form of education. 
and we wanted to see how these schools could access finance to help them grow further. And what we found is that the schools in the areas, this is quite anecdotally based on kind of a few examples, but schools in areas with least access to finance, so in the kind of the northeast of Kenya, which is, is quite a, a challenging region, they were actually being run uh, not necessarily profitably, but actually on a kind of break even basis because there is no access to finance. And so there kind of is no choice, right? So I think very often we see, you know, particularly in areas like farming and agriculture, some kind of, you know, sustainable business models, which aren't necessarily accelerating growth, um, but actually are being run on a kind of break even or a kind of somewhat sustainable basis. So I think the the challenge I think that we see often is how do we find those opportunities for real growth and for scale and how do we create a kind of an approach to finance that isn't just copying pasting what happens in Silicon Valley because that doesn't work and there's lots of macroeconomic reasons why that that's not possible but which is able to find those those business models with high growth potential um, and to kind of accelerate those and, and to do so in a way that you know has sufficient revenues behind it as well so I think the you know the challenge such as it is is kind of finding a fit of, to, to find what works here rather than kind of importing ideas from outside and, and trying to kind of you know retrofit them to, to something that actually already works it may just not work in the way that we expect it to work targeting solution based here yeah, and the approach that you have also you're a very diverse team as you pointed out it's helping also you identify and really challenging let us say the, the, the going by the book and by the, the theory and i'm sure now you have an awful lot of experience uh, now in nairobi supporting smes 40 plus that you said before I want to ask if you can share some impact stories, something that really touched you and, and shows the way we really can practically you know, support this growth. The stories that really stay with me or the kind of the, the work that I remember most clearly, I think is are those entrepreneurs who are finding ways to build and run their businesses really based on revenue um, and based on kind of strength in revenue. And I think, External capital, of course, has a really important role to play, but especially given the kind of broader economic environment that we're facing over the next kind of 12 to 24 months and is really being felt already on the continent, particularly the war in Ukraine um, and the, the impacts on kind of wheat prices and other commodity prices. I think increasingly investors, particularly in East Africa, are getting more and more focused on kind of quality revenues um sort of underpinning really underpinning business models and i think you know you know always looking for growth always looking for market potential but also really wanting to understand the kind of the quality of the underlying business um, and the strength of the online business and so we do a lot of work in renewable energy particularly off-grid solar and that's really one of our kind of specialities as a business or our kind of areas of deep expertise um, and recently I was working with a business in Uganda that installs solar systems in kind of small uh, businesses, um, installations for schools, for kind of small communities, et cetera. And they've built, you know, a really strong business based on finding those areas of value um, where there is ability and willingness to pay. They have a, a, a completely Ugandan local team 
and they're able to, to kind of use that uh, sort of inherent cultural understanding to make sure that they have you know really clear visibility on their customers ability and willingness to pay um, which can be a real challenge uh, in this in solar business um, in in sub-saharan africa but they haven't raised external capital before and so you have this kind of fundamentally pretty strong business but they aren't able to go to that next level um, of growth they aren't able to kind of double their growth you know um, accelerate beyond just looking for the next kind of revenue stream the next the next contract and so I think you know those kind of opportunities where we're able to connect our knowledge our background our kind of network um, relationships with investors to that kind of business who wouldn't necessarily otherwise be able to see that way forward and then to kind of bring an external perspective um, to their their revenues and so I think before we started working with them they were talking about their business in terms of well we did this you know deal with this customer and we did this deal with this customer the strategy was there but it wasn't described in terms of kind of a strategy in the way that you know one might understand it and so um you know we're able to bring that external perspective and kind of go okay well you know these pieces of work fit into this part of the strategy these pieces fit into this part of the strategy and i think you know that feels really transformative where you can find those kind of businesses with kind of underlying quality in their in their work the other one, you know, I mentioned the, the work we did on education, and I think that stayed with me for a really different reason, because that was about finding the flows of finance, the flows of capital that were kind of already happening. I talked earlier about schools with, you know, less than $100 uh, a term in, in fees. They might have, you know, 50 students in the school. It's a, you know, it's a pretty small operation. And we went in you know, thinking about understanding that market, thinking that we might be looking for some sort of flows of equity capital. Um, and actually what we found is that the majority of the finance flows are from debt providers, from actually from, you know, really staid traditional banks, microfinance from, from savings cooperatives. And that wasn't the story we expected to find, you know, right? We, we often I think slightly demonized banks, particularly local banks in sub-Saharan Africa, that they don't lend, they, they, you know, they just buy treasury bills, they don't kind of, you know, the, the flows capital aren't there. And actually what we found is some of the kind of, you know, more traditional parts of the economy, like education, which is such a staple, particularly here in Kenya, actually the money is flowing. It may not be flowing as easily as we would like or as, as kind of freely, and it's not getting to all parts of the sector, but it is there. And so I think, you know, kind of speaks to my earlier point about it doesn't always look how we expect it to, but if you can kind of work with where it is, um, you it can make a real difference. Very interesting cases. You see from the practicalities, you really discover also the, the differences and the peculiarity of the, of the context. And I'm sure you have hundreds of cases from your experience that are really touched. And you see also the transformational work that you are doing. The question now I, I really would like to, to ask you, is uh, from your experiences, which are in the enterprise you have managed and then you have advice. Can you give us five tips, uh, the, the typical five tips that we see in the website <laughs> on how to foster inclusive and sustainable investment, especially in the emerging market? I think the, there are maybe three really big themes that have emerged over the last uh, four years as, as, as long as I've been on the continent. For me, looking at them and, and others might find other, you know, different ones, but are uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. And I think within that gender as well, and also climate change. 
And I think the things that are shaping what does it mean to have sustainable investment? I think that's about who's running the companies that we're investing in as a, you know, as a community. Um, who do they benefit? And kind of what is the effect of their, of their kind of business operations? And, and I think the, the diversity, equity and inclusion theme is, and, and within that sort of the gender lens, and, and, and I think it is really a theme in, in its own right, um, and gender lens investing, which is becoming a very important theme. And, you know, when I speak to friends who are investors, you know, there's a, they're feeling both an intrinsic and an ex, external pressure really to make sure that their portfolio companies and, and the management of those portfolio companies is, is looking and reflecting kind of the communities from which the business has come. And, and I think, you know, the days where you would look at an investor's website and you look at the investment committee and you look at the leadership team and you look at the management of their portfolio companies and there's a lot of bluntly white men um, on the page. I hope and I and I feel that they are numbered and I think there is increasing focus um, and increasing, yeah, as I said, internal and external pressure um, to make sure that we are investing um, in companies run by people um, who are African, who are local, who are female. So I think that in terms of how do we invest sustainably, I think the really key thing is finding those entrepreneurs and taking the time to really understand the business and not just looking at the first set of financials and kind of taking that as the final, you know, understanding. I think, you know, speaking to the, you know, the business uh, I was working with in Uganda, we were very lucky in that instance that a development partner has supported us to work with them. We had quite a long time period to be able to really kind of get to understand the business. So I think that's probably my first tip is have enough time <laughs> at disposal, you know, um, really make the effort to get into the numbers, um, to understand what, what's behind the numbers, to, you know, ask some of the really simple but hard questions um, about where revenue is coming from, where are costs coming from. And I think if you're, you know, for those listening who are thinking about starting and running those businesses, you know, making sure that you know the answers to those questions. Um, and it's always the simplest questions, which are, which are the hardest to answer. So I think that would be the first one. I think investors are going, I think, increasingly to need a strategy around gender, a strategy around diversity, um, and a really clear route to building pipeline that, that reflects those priorities. Um, and I think that is going to be a real pressure, particularly in East Africa. I think in the VC market, East Africa, particularly Kenya, has a not an undeserved, but a kind of unwelcome reputation for investing a lot of money in foreign owned and founded businesses. Um, I think it's much less acute, uh, certainly in terms of some of the data, it's much less acute in, in West Africa and in, in Southern Africa, but in East Africa, it's, it's quite an acute problem. And I think that will shift and that will start start to change at least I hope it will and I think the other piece of it and I hope starts to emerge although I don't know that it will is that we look for ways of deploying capital that don't try and make SMEs everything to everyone I think sometimes you know we see capital and it's looking for both a huge return and huge amounts of impact, um, you know, with a pretty restrictive investment mandate where they can, you know, only invest in X, Y, Z. And 
SMEs are businesses and should be treated as such. Um, but they're also businesses working in, in markets with potentially quite small populations, um, certainly pretty small overall GDP. And so expecting, you know, really outsized returns um, in, in a market which, you know, for example, Kenya GDP around $80 uh, billion. When you compare it to, you know, the state of California with a, a GDP of 3.5 trillion, I think, um, you know, you're, you're just talking about a scale of magnitude that's completely different. And so I think recognizing that and understanding that and, and using development money in a way that, that is able to kind of accelerate, um, you know, the blended financial approach, able to kind of um, de-risk other, other types of capital is really valuable, but making sure that that doesn't come at the cost of remembering that this is fundamentally a business. And so when it comes to things like impact reporting, data collection, et cetera, you know, being respectful of, of focusing on the core operations and understanding that that growth has to be tied to core operations and the core value created by the business and not trying to ask businesses for, you know, 25 uh, additional things on top, which makes um, makes it very hard to kind of actually focus on your growth plan. I think, yeah, the final thing I, I kind of mentioned was, was kind of climate change. And I think this is an area that one of my colleagues uh, who leads our agricultural practice is doing a huge amount of work on. Um, which is a the kind of emerging theme of climate smart agriculture. Um, and I think it's going to become a, a really interesting area over the next five, 10 years. It's not something I my work is focused on as much, but I think there are definitely opportunities there. There's definitely kind of um, areas uh, to capture value. But at the same time, you know, it is presenting some challenges and really immediate challenges. And so the kind of making sure that energy transition happens as quickly as possible, um, you know, without going through some of the, the negative effects of, of, of how other economies have grown is, is going to be really key. And I think within that, we're going to have to be quite clever and, and I think also quite open-minded about who we work with and, and who our kind of partners are going to be. Because, you know, for example, something's not talked about very much, but, you know, in order to have the electric vehicles, which everyone's very excited about in, in East Africa right now, with the likes of, and you know, uh, Ampersand and other companies kind of raising capital. With that comes a huge need for minerals um, and therefore for mining. And um, you know, we often like to think of these two things as separate, but actually they're really gonna become two sides of the same coin. If you want electric vehicles, you know, you will need significant mineral extraction from places like DRC. So I think, you know, we're also gonna have to be quite open-minded and very clear-sighted about who we need to work with in order to kind of achieve um, the transition that uh, that we need to achieve, and and I think often within the kind of VC impact investing world, we like to think of ourselves as kind of a bit separate from the dirty business of of kind of how we get to solar panels, how we get to electric vehicles. But I think that's increasingly going to become brought much closer to home. And it's very interesting. The last point is really interesting to see the holistic and the consequences, even not only from your own business, but, you know, the multiply and in the, the effect, not only between the four walls of my business, but, you know, the suppliers and especially for critical areas like, like this. We will discuss, we will discuss the mobility in some upcoming episode with one of the people you have mentioned. And of course, one of the things is also discussing how, how to, to go beyond you know, the scale and the work. I think they are very interesting and um, incredibly useful points for people that I hope they are listening and you know how to also to improve and 
and really shape the, the new wave you know, of growth and sustainable finance and investment and growth for the, what is the African century. We are approaching the end. As usually, we ask people to, to discuss from a very wonderful episode, full of insights and very packed, I might say, Emily, your final call to action to the people that are listening to us. I mean, the most important thing I've learned being an outsider, being a, being a foreigner who, you know, has spent uh, not very long, relatively speaking, just four years um, working on the continent, focused on the continent and, and very much hope to be able to do so for the future. I think the most important thing I've learned is to not come in with preconceived ideas. And one always has, has them. So you can't, you can't kind of avoid having preconceived ideas. That's, that's our experience. That's our, everything we've learned today. But to really keep an open mind and to really, you know, be very honest with oneself about the biases you come in with um, and to look very clearly at what's happening and what's going on um, in the markets that you're working in um, and to see what, when we think about concepts of value, when we think about concepts of growth and, and you know, uh, return, understanding what does that look like uh, already you know what what was the original concept of that in the market you're working in in the, in the sector you're working in um and how does that compare to what value might look like in your mind um you know based on your experience and and, and your prior your prior work um and making sure that you're finding a way to marry the two um and not just imposing one on the other um and i think that's really the key i'm very lucky in in terms of how much i've been able to learn and patient colleagues and clients and, and you know, um, peers who've, who've been there to kind of teach me. But I think if I had one thing that I, you know, would encourage people to do going forward, I think, especially um, if you are a foreigner, if, you know, if you're coming in uh, works and your working life hasn't been on the continent, I think that's that's really the key one is to make sure that you're really listening first um, and, and having a dialogue rather than kind of assuming that there is one way to do things. And thank you so much, Emily, for this message. It's actually one of the pillars of this podcast. Try to give a very diverse and very inclusive, from geography to sector to experience, to really avoid the preconceived ideas and try to get past and, and really listen to the others. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Emily, for this wonderful episode. And I'm sure we will see maybe in the future how to discuss more and see how your work is really unlocking sustainable growth in the emerging economy. Thank you so much, Emily. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.